Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is Home Depot's Empty Mile Solution with my friend Eduardo Silva. How's it going, Eduardo? Hey, Joe. All good. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to be to be here. Excellent. Excellent. I'm excited about this topic. So, Eduardo, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Absolutely. So, I'm Eduardo. I'm a group product manager here at Loadsmart. So, Loadsmart is a digital freight broker. And uh, the weird accent that, that you know, people are hearing right now is because I'm based on Brazil. I'm originally Brazilian. I live in a small island in the south of Brazil, which is a pretty great place to be. And that's why I, I'm still here. Uh-huh. But we, we are also have a, a, a really good tech environment here in the south of a, a great number of small startups growing all the time and a good number of, of uh, big companies as well coming here for the talent that we have around the city. Excellent, excellent. So what's the closest big city or two in Brazil? I guess Sao Paulo, but Sao Paulo and Rio, which are the two biggest uh, cities, they are pretty close to each other. Like it's a 50-minute flight between uh, Sao Paulo and and Florianopolis. The city itself, it's uh, really small here, like 500 or 600,000 people uh, in in this island. It's it's a crazy world we live in now. All of a sudden, we're all very connected. But what I also think is cool is you can live where you want to live. I, yesterday, I had a meeting with people in Europe. Today, I'm talking. I talk every day to Colombia. I talk to you in Brazil. And my sister lived in Sao Paulo for years, and she loved it there. Other than the traffic, I hear the traffic's horrific, but she loved the weather and the people. One of the things my sister always said is, she goes, "It's crazy to be in Brazil." She goes, "Because the people are always." so good looking everywhere and she goes oh, i like she goes it's like what is going on and then she goes and then they party a lot she's like how are you always partying and always looking good yeah and honestly i don't think she was in a very good place for good looking people i think she if she comes <laughs> off she would see that uh, i think people here are uh, even very good looking nice yeah and, and parties uh, i think it's uh you know in the blood of brazilians i think there are so many things that uh, are bad in the country that uh, we, we, you know, could have problems for that uh, when we have the opportunity to, to party, let's do it. I think we are in general a uh, pretty festive uh, uh, people when uh, we have this culture of, you know, people from, from different origins, from Europe, from Africa, you know, coming here and uh, trying to, to build their lives here. And uh, I think there is a lot of uh, different connections between those those people and uh creating new cultures are all around. Right. I read that so long ago that I think 2050, the largest economies in the world would be US, China, India, Brazil, and Mexico. I don't know if I was in the right order, but what's wild is us as, uh, in the US, we, we've tend to look for a long time to Europe as, and that may, maybe it's because most of us are European ancestry. We have obviously more and more Hispanic, more and more Spanish. It's part of our culture here now. But what's interesting is I think we always, after we stopped looking to Europe, we started looking to Asia. And I think more and more this pandemic taught us like, you know what? We're in the same time zone as the Brazilians and we're in the same time zone as the Colombians and the Mexicans. 
we're pretty close on a we get down there on a plane ride real easy. We get those people and they get us. <laughs> That's who we should be working with. <laughs> yeah, we have a, a similar culture. I think there are, of course, there are differences, but I think it's way easier for uh, American companies to work with uh, uh, Brazil than uh, it is uh, for you know other countries like like China. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so LoadSmart was actually founded by a Brazilian who's now living in Chicagoland, right? And a Colombian who's now living in Chicagoland, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Felipe is, is uh, Brazilian. And uh, Chicago, although he, he was born in Colombia, he, he lived most of his life in the United States. I guess my point is the, uh, the company has ties, obviously, to the U.S., and uh, but also to South America. And, and again, that that is becoming more and more the norm. So many people work with one of my good friends down there, lean staffing. It is the norm these days to say my back office is managed by Lean Solutions Group. You know, they, they're doing technology. They're doing back office stuff. They're doing sales, carrier development. I mean, they're, it's just the norm now. And it's funny, it's not so long ago, you'd be like, what do you mean you're working with somebody in South America? In the post-COVID environment, which I hope we're getting to, it is the norm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it, it will become more and more common. And uh, if there are any silver linings for uh, the pandemic, it's like, I think it has broken down some some barriers. Like, And companies are, are more and more willing to work with people in different time zones, different cultures, different uh, countries. And uh, I think it's it's easier than uh, everyone was what was thinking that it could be before the pandemic, you know? Right. Since oh, yeah. We, yeah. We, we didn't have an option, so let's let's do what we need to do. We're a Zoom call away today. So anyway, let's talk a little bit about you before we get into the topic today. So you, you grew up in Brazil. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, where you went to school. Give us some career highlights. Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, lived most of my life in the city that I'm still living in. So we have, it's, it's an if island. I was born on an island in, in Brazil. I think that's where I'd stay. <laughs> yeah, right. We have like 52 different beaches that, uh, you know, are, are, are quick right away. Many different options. Still, the company is small enough that we don't have a lot of violence. Uh, traffic is becoming more of a problem. But uh, now that I'm working remotely, like that's not a problem at all, at least for me. So I have, I have been living here my my. My family is also uh, living here in the island for the last few generations. I went to, to college here as well. So again, like we have a, a pretty decent college for technology-related roles here. So while I was in college, I, uh, I, I think everyone like on, on the second semester already starts working as intern for technology companies. We have a lot of demand here. So that, that's why my career started. I started as, as a software engineer. But like, I really liked business as, as well. And as soon as I had the opportunity, like two years ago, I, I started working more in connecting business areas with technology. So I was kind of overseeing the engineering team and, and trying to find solutions for problems uh, from customers or, or the company itself and uh, helping them to figure out what solutions. Uh, so you're kind of the need. user requirements, you're kind of the connection between the product and the user requirements and the uh and the techies who are making it all happen. Yeah, exactly. Like if I can, you know, simplify and, and answer you like what my role is, is to solve customer problems in a way that deliver value to the company. So usually that value is is uh, through money and uh, uh, the company becoming profitable and, and, you know, selling our products or, or saving some money. But like if you are a nonprofit, 
you could also have uh, uh, value in different ways, right? So this is basically uh, the role that I have. A few career highlights. I, I worked uh, for 10 years in the construction area, building a, a, an ERP for construction. And I think the similarities that I see between construction and, and logistics is that those two markets, they didn't have a lot of attention from technology for quite some time. Right. We are underserved a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think technology adoption is a challenge in both markets as well. A lot of different companies like I just keep working the way I'm, I'm, I'm working for the past 20 years, right? But uh, uh, at this moment, if you don't make that decision for yourself, like you eventually becoming outdated and then perhaps you, you lose the market that, right. that you have. So it's not a choice anymore. You just need to figure out what tools you should adopt and, and, and you know, which tools. The technology guys are going to win. That's all you, that's what you know, have to know. They're undefeated. Wherever they show up, they win. So technology is, is not about like those guys anymore. I think. No, no, it's us. <laughs> right? We, we see pretty large companies in, in, in logistics uh, uh, saying that they will invest billions of dollars in, in technology in the next few years. So I think everyone is, is finally understanding that like technology is not the enemy, but something that uh, we all need to use in order to increase the efficiencies. The world's growing, everything's growing, like we need better solutions than uh, what we had in the past. It is It is a funny thing because I think people who are older were always kind of like, what do you mean a you're getting a computer? What, what for? You know, we don't need that. I don't think like the, anybody who's alive today kind of recognizes the value of technology. And, you know, we're all walking around, even, at, even you know, when I was, uh, when my kids were little, I'd be like, put that phone down, right? Put that phone down and live your life. Now, now I say it to my friends, right? I say, so it's, uh, I say it to myself, for God's sake. So I think we all recognize the value. So when and why did you decide to join the guys over at LoadSmart? Yeah, so I was trying to find a different challenge. Before LoadSmart, I was working in a completely different role at an American company based on California that uh, we were basically offering our, our services as, as consultants for large companies that they didn't have that kind of presence in, in technology, like large retailers, but I'll, but they also need to, to build their own technology products. So this company was hiring a lot of, of good talent here in Brazil to solve those, those problems. The problem is for me, like... For someone in product, working as a consultant for a different company is too hard. And uh, I, I wasn't able to be on the table making decisions. And right, this, right. You're an outsider. <laughs> yeah. So this is the kind of role I, I, I would like to have in a company. right? And so I started looking at, at different possibilities. I, I, I even looked like going to, to companies uh, in, in Europe. And then actually I had a friend who was working at, at LoadSmart in the moment when I was looking for my next challenge. And, you know, the, the first thing that was impressive for me is the size of the business. Like in, trucking is a $800 billion. Right. Everybody says, every techie says the same thing. Is that like, look at this huge market that's kind of underserved. Yeah. Like if I can choose like the market or the team or the problem, give me the market any day, you know, so like. You will find a way to, to, you know, create something that people need in a market that is as massive as, as logistics. And not only massive, but, and less so every day, but probably underserved compared to other industries. Yeah. Especially like when, when the company began, like back in 2015, 2016, like there are so many options for things that, that we could do. And uh, we, we, we saw a big explosion. Like I've had been load smart for the last three years and like the, 
the number of companies working in the space grows every year and, and by a lot, right? We we are more and more seeing different competitors in, in different niches. And like, it, it's it's interesting to see that kind of explosion of, of logistics as, you know, a market. I would say tech tech is exploding. And I would say that we're going to see a consolidation. I think we're going to see more and more big players and guys who haven't invested in technology are going to end up either investing in technology or exiting. <laughs> so anyway... We've got a great topic today, and that topic is Home Depot's Empty Mile Solution with my friend Eduardo Silva. Is everyone named Silva in Brazil? All my friends are named Silva from Brazil. Yeah, right. right, Silva. So the most common last name here in Brazil. Yeah, I worked with a guy named Marco forever, and his last name was Silva. So anyway, empty miles are a humongous problem. We all know that. That keep, comes up a lot on my podcast, and I think... One of the challenges is we have these greenhouse gases, and I think that we have more desire to solve that problem than ever before. And I think 80% of greenhouse gases come from the supply chain. So when the world looks to solve this problem with greenhouse gases, they look and say 80% is the supply chain, which who, which is as transportation logistics company, that's who we're serving. So, And then if you look, I think over-the-road trucking in the U.S. accounts for 5% of our total greenhouse gases. So the empty miles are something we need to concern ourselves with. And when we were prepping for this, Eduardo, we talked about what percentage of miles are empty. And I just heard from the guys at Uber Freight that 79% of total miles are uh, full, meaning 21% are empty. And you had some other stats. So what percent do you think are? Yeah, so we have a few different numbers coming from uh, different companies. We heard uh, uh, a different study that uh, Convoy run. Convoy? Yeah, using historical data and trying to get there to this moment. And then like freight waves added more color to these and uh, their estimations is, is closer to 18% and, and 20%. Which so is... 18 to 20%. And, and when we think about 5% of total greenhouse gases are trucking, just trucking. <laughs> that that means that we're like over 1% of the greenhouse gases are empty miles. Yeah, absolutely. We are a big offender. <laughs> yep. Well, less so than we were because you said that you had seen some other studies that 20 years ago it was 30% empty miles. Yeah, exactly. The numbers that, that Convoy tried to, to bring to this day were more in the, uh, leaning more in the 30% area. And we have been hearing in the past as well. So I think the problem is you have the average of the market and then you have, you know, different numbers on, on, on different types of, of markets. So you have, you know, asset based commercial carriers. They are tr really trying to optimize that because that's how they live. And then you have private and, and dedicated fleets that are more and more common. Then you have like LTL as, you know, moving more or less. And then you have dry van and reefer and flatbed and each one of those different markets, they have their own uh, different percentages. So it's it's complex to even get to the right number, but I think we can we can all assume that. That's right. I think we can say eight, 18 to 20%. It's, it's more, and here's the thing, I just talked about all the horrible things uh, that it does for the environment, the greenhouse gases that none of us want. And again, I think some people probably listening go, oh, that's all, that's all bull. I don't give, I don't care about that. This is the thing. We don't want empty miles for other reasons. We don't not want empty miles because they're expensive. They're not good for carriers. They're not good for shippers. They're not good for the brokers. They're not good for anybody. So 
I think this is one of those win, win, win. Like if we can get rid of empty miles, more money for the drivers and carriers, let less, uh, well, just let's just say, let's just call it a cost savings for everybody. Because even if you say, I don't pay for empty miles and you're a shipper, you're probably paying for empty miles. It's just part, somebody, this is a low margin space. So somebody's paying for these empty miles and it's probably you if you're a shipper. So this is one of those places where you say, we want to solve them anyway. The the fact that it'd be good for the environment, that's just a bonus. <laughs> so so talk about talk about some of the other challenges that were related to this. So I know we talked about it being horrible for the environment, horrible for carriers. You said that this is probably even worse for flatbed carriers like Home Depot. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry, not they're a home they're a flatbed user. <laughs> yeah, so flatbed itself, it's a more specialized equipment type. They demand the, the the drivers to have specific skills. They need to secure their shipments. This is not like a, a work that right. the warehouse workers are going to to do, right? And then... It's dangerous. It's it's dangerous, definitely. Like if you are running flatbeds uh, during the winter, I think a lot of bad things can can happen, especially, you know, it's it's hard enough for you to try to, to secure... Uh, your shipments during the winter, trying to put, you know, tarps and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. When we were prepping, I told you about a company I knew that said, you know, they're in the great north here in the winter time, and they have the truck is whatever it is, six, seven, eight feet off the ground. And then by the time you put all the equipment on there and then they were tarping it and the wind was blowing and it was cold and you have this older driver, they said, hey, we're going to end up killing this guy. He's up on this flatbed trying to tarp this. There is not an easy process for doing that. So this is not easy work. And I can see where a lot of drivers would say, no, no, thank you. I'm, a, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, this job is hard enough without having to tarp this stuff in the cold, potentially injuring myself. And again, also, as they're driving, you mentioned the securing the loads. That's an extra responsibility in a job that already has a lot of responsibility. So this is a fragmented market. Not a lot of people do it. I can tell you this from my own experience as a broker, as a 3PL, it's sometimes really hard to find flatbeds. I remember I had a customer that always needed flatbeds in Western Michigan. And I was like, dude, there's nobody, no flatbeds in Western Michigan. And they would always say, isn't there just a guy, you know, right along the water? Like hardly any, I think I called every last one. So Flatbeds are a hard business. Absolutely, yeah. And and when you take into consideration all the, the dangers that you can have for a driver, especially in the winter, and knowing that most of the flatbed freight actually runs uh, during uh, the summer or, or the spring where, you know, it's a uh, construction season, you're moving more of, of those uh, products. Building equipment, yeah. yep. And that's when Home Depot, I imagine, would be moving a lot of it. Yeah, absolutely. So Home Depot is probably the largest uh, flatbed uh, shipper in the U.S., or perhaps it's uh, the top, top three in, in the yeah. worst case scenario. That, well, that would make sense. I mean, if you're, if you're doing something in the home, a lot of, or even Home Depot is not just for consumers. I think people don't realize if you go to the other side of Home Depot, all that wood is and all that other stuff, that's a lot of builders are buying equipment there. So it's not just consumer stuff. And I think that probably what you guys are getting into is a lot of the uh, B2B stuff, correct? Yeah, absolutely. We are, we are helping Home Depot in a, in a few different challenges uh, here, right? They understand and, you know, operating so many flatbed freight every week, 
they understand better than, than anyone how fragmented these markets. <laughs> right, right. So now they're using, they don't have their own trucks. They have dedicated trucks, meaning there's a carrier that has a, a truck and it's the carrier operates it, provides the, the driver and it probably says Home Depot on it, but it might also say the carrier name, right? Yeah, exactly. So usually we, we see those uh, Home Depot trucks with uh, the Home Depot uh, logo in the in the door, but uh, below that uh, there is the the the, the, the carrier name. So they work with a few different providers to get uh, the the uh, dedicated capacity that they need to move their freight into their stores. So how many trucks are we talking? Hundreds, thousands? Yeah, a few hundred, probably in, in the in the four hundred or or five hundred. Okay, so they got a lot of trucks, and so the empty miles. So so the empty miles are they? On the way back to Home Depot, or where are those empty miles happening? Yeah, so their dedicated fleets are usually running uh, freight from the distribution centers to the stores, and then they go empty back from the store to the... Ah, so this is just my question. Why wouldn't the uh, the carriers just say, oh, we will find a load for that? So yeah, that's a very interesting question. And uh, what we are seeing, like Home Depot is trying to make sure that their products are in the stores at the right time. So they, right, obviously. They, all those, right? And actually what they are trying to do is running, uh, those are usually short hauls, right? They are trying to, to get these products. They have the distribution centers nearby, pretty good number of, of different stores. So they are feeding all of those of those stores. And sometimes they are trying to run two loads in, in the same day with the same uh, truck and the same driver. So Home Depot can't risk having the carrier reassigning that, that truck and that driver to another customer to avoid those empty lines, uh, empty miles, because they need that truck and that driver back the distribution center to run the second uh, dedicated shipment. So like they need to have control of those trucks in order to optimize their own business. Ah, so you guys reached out to Home Depot and uh, there was a conversation and the conversation became, help us, help us get rid of all these empty miles, which is tens of thousands of miles, right? Yeah, absolutely. No small amount. And, and basically they're paying, they're paying extra for the, the head haul because they don't have the back haul. So as freight costs have gone higher, it's more noticeable that have empty miles, right? You know, like the whole world is looking for capacity, but it's a matching problem, right? Nobody sees Home, Home Depot's trucks out there. And again, it's, I, I got to also think, you know, again, getting back to it, I think Home Depot is probably also saying, you know, we wouldn't mind being a little more sustainable. We're going to have, we're going to have customers who want that from us. But also, again, this is, this is invisible. Nobody even knows it's out there until you guys uh, said, Hey, here's some extra capacity. So how do you, how do you guys work with them? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, there are a few different problems, right? Dedicated fleet is one of uh, the problems that Home Depot has. But they are running a very small percentage of their entire business on, on those uh, dedicated fleets. They also understand that it's challenging to find capacity in general for the business that they are running outside of their dedicated fleets, right? So it's both about finding the right capacity and then for the capacity that they ha have available, how they, they can become less of a headache, less of a waste. And again, you, you have been mentioning a uh, the greenhouse gas emissions, consumers are more and more focusing on, on that and, and trying to make companies responsible for their right. their emissions, right? You you it's more and more common to hear something about that on, on 
different large companies' earnings call, something in, in that sense. Oh, that's an ex- it's an expectation that's coming. Is consumers exactly. want it? Big brands want it. It's it's coming. And, and I think like companies are trying to be ahead of that of that movement before like there is a huge pressure on them. It's you know that's one of those things when somebody and this applies to logistics companies also is when somebody asks you know what are you doing about it? It's too late. You have to do it before they ask. We know it's coming, so let's get going. So. We were talking about this, and this this is not an easy business. And I think you know this is something that we've done in the past, but we've tried to do it manually. And the problem is, it's not it's not easy. This is a job that is ideally suited for technology. If you if you and I, Eduardo, worked our butts off to try and find people who needed that freight, we would not be as successful as we want to be because. We're not tech, well, you're a technologist, but if we didn't have the right technology, if we were just trying to do this manually, it'd be ridiculous. Am I right? Absolutely. And that's how LoadSmart gets in the, in the picture. As, as we have talked before, uh, most of our team is, is based on uh, engineers, data scientists, product managers. So a lot of uh, focus. So even though on- you're a freight broker, you have more, more data scientists, more coders, more techies than, than brokers now, which yeah. that's yeah that makes sense so so that technology can do that freight matching way better than us mere mortals <laughs> yeah absolutely it's it's a massive amount of data for each one of those loads if you think about it you need to know you know where a pickup and delivery location is and what's near that that region it's not easy to do that manually, like using AI and machine learning tools, it's pretty easy to know if something is near, you know, a delivery location is near another pickup location. Then you need to understand rates. You need to understand what are the dates and time where a specific truck is going to be available. You know, you need to understand drivers hours of service to make sure that that driver can actually execute that shipment. So there are so many data points that if you do that manually, like maybe you can find one shipment, you know, that right. you can you can figure out a backhaul every day, but uh, that's not that's not scalable. And I think you know you probably spend more paying a person to do that than actually what you were going to save by having another shipment moving on uh, on that backhaul. So really, this is one of the problems that you know uh, it's it's way easier if we have technology taking care of that process. So do you guys have some like a freight matching algorithm that that does that so explain how your your technology works in that situation? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so what 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 we do with Home Depot is that we receive the the movements that they are planning for each week through an API and and we process that and and you know, we save all that information and then a matching algorithm runs and trying to find shipments that match those specific locations and, and date and, and time and, and all the data that that I just explained. And, uh, you know, the output of that is the loads match it with each different capacity. So what we do for Home Depot is that they send, look, this is, this is the loads that I'm going to move. And we reverse engineer that to understand like, so there is a, a pickup location that we need that's near that uh, uh, Home Depot store and, and a delivery location that's near the distribution center. So the algorithm runs through all the, the shipments that, that we have available in, in our platform and try, tries to find the, the shipments that actually match with, with that specific capacity. And then Home Depot has a decision to make of whether they're willing to, to accept and, and move that shipment or not. Sometimes they have capacity constraints and, and you know, different decisions 
that you know different reasons that they are not right. Really- they might not want to take the risk that it might be too tight on a, one of their own loads. Exactly. So we have seen a little bit of that uh, last month when uh, you know a few of the uh, hurricanes that we had like really increased demand on specific regions, and then like they were not willing to to you know take those those trucks outside of the so they have veto power they can say no i appreciate this i appreciate the opportunities to move this freight but no thanks yeah so we are working with them to have different rules and uh, automating everything about the process for you know when when they are more willing to move uh, specific shipments either by you know filtering locations like wherever you find in this location we will be able to to move and then uh, for other locations they want to make that veto and, and that decision of whether we should move this shipment or not. So we are working with them trying to, to scale all those decisions as, as much as possible, even though that we understand that it's not 100% automatable, the entire process uh, always, especially at the, the level of you know connection and, and integrations that we have at the moment. I think in the future, logistics will be more and more connected between different parties in order for us to to have an increased efficiency across every every partner. Right. So you guys use artificial intelligence and machine learning for this. And so artificial intelligence just it needs computing power. I'm assuming you guys have all that. And it also needs lots of data. So they they have all the data they're feeding you. Does that mean every week your system, your artificial intelligence gets smarter at this? Yeah, so they're, they're, AI is a very broader term, right? And uh, can can be different things for, for different people. Machine learning is, is a segment of artificial intelligence and machine learning actually learns and gets better. So when we are using a machine learning algorithm, that means we've, whenever we have more data, we get better. So our pricing algorithm that tries to, to estimate the cost that we should pay for a carrier to move a specific shipment actually gets better week week after week. For this one, the, the matching algorithm, there isn't exactly something that uh, they need to understand and improve every day. It's more like finding the things that actually match the demand. But of course, it's also a, a data issue because we need to more to have more data in order to have right. better and, and more outputs. I guess my point is, is this as you scale this, so when did you start doing this? Uh, we started back in uh, Q2 this year with a small pilot in Texas. And in Q3, we started to to really uh, scale it across all the Home Depot uh, facilities. So as you get more and more data coming through your systems, your machine learning and your algorithm just gets better and better and better. So yeah, what, whatever your whatever percentage of empty miles you've eliminated so far, that will be much greater in six months or a year. Absolutely. Yeah. In the end of the day, it's, it's really a data problem and, and we need to have scale. If you like the optimal place of the market could be like, if we have data for all the truck, the trucks that we have out there and we have data for all the shipments for every shipper out there, we could match that in a way that, that we would avoid all, all the ways. Right. Right. But we are really far from there, but, uh, we, we need to keep scaling to get more data and find. Right. The right trucks all the time. Like we, we have some kind of uh, optimization, but there are so many. So, you know, uh, there is a lot of space for us to grow, find more and, and really optimize uh, more and more as these uh, scale. So uh, we've talked a lot about the technology. So what about what about when there's uh, problems? Do you guys have people 
involved also as uh, to manage this kind of thing? Yeah, we have people, especially on, on uh, the Home Depot side, like we have uh, transportation managers in there. So they, they need to make sure that whatever they are doing with these fleets will not have an impact on uh, Home Depot's uh, business, right? Like their their number one priority is to make sure that- Their own freight, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> but we are trying to to work more and work better on, on making those those decisions and we are trying to automate as much as possible. So as, as I just mentioned before, like if we can set up some rules or if we can understand that for a specific location right now, things are better and, uh, and we have more available capacity, we can move that automatically and accelerate the process for, for everyone involved and really giving back some benefits to other shippers out there. Yep. It's interesting, Eduardo, when, uh, when I first learned about LoadSmart, I always thought like it's a digital freight brokerage. And I think you could probably still describe yourself that way, but it's, it seems as if it's becoming more and more like a, a platform that integrates. Yeah. Because that's when you have that, that engine and that system. It becomes, and that's where the values increasingly added in companies is, you know, these technology platforms that are able to connect shippers, carriers, eliminate the empty miles, right? Yeah, exactly, uh, Joe. We are we are really trying to become a, a platform which is much more than a, a freight broker. We understand that technology loves to kill the, the middleman, especially if that middleman doesn't add value to, you know, the, the whole supply chain. Right. So you, 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 and this is the weird thing where we're all, you know, there's a lot of intermediaries, including LoadSmart. And so, you know, but we're bringing the technology to kind of eliminate. And I think as we eliminate some of the jobs, I think we're creating new jobs. And I think those jobs are providing insights. I think those jobs are, are becoming more like consultants to say, let me help you end to end rather than Rather than spending my time making check calls, but rather than my, spending my time looking for a truck, let me let me look at the data. Let me make recommendations that help you make your systems better. You know, you're, you're, streamline the process. Yeah, absolutely. In the end of the day, if we if we see historical trends, technology has never actually reduced the number of available jobs. It just changes. It just well. changes. Yeah. And I'll tell you, there's a, there's something else to be said. If you ever walk through like a, a, a traditional freight broker, it's like World War III is going on in there. I mean, so they're screaming and crying and, and uh, people are upset and people are high-fiving, celebrating, finding a truck. And that's the nature of that business because there's a, so many manual interactions. But when you can get to the place where you say, I took a lot of those manual interactions and I automated it. And now the guy who used to manage five loads a day or 20 loads a day now is managing 5,000 and he's looking across the top and saying what, what's working and what's not. That's where we're all going to end up, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We want to, to scale that and uh, we want to make sure people are working where they are needed, right? Not on, you know, doing that kind of repetitive work that uh, doing check calls and, and that kind of activity that usually like it, it doesn't add value to to the broader supply chain we need to to make sure that those people like perhaps are trying to solve issues where you know the that truck that specific truck has had a problem we need to figure out another truck to to get that you know shipment and and really deliver it in a way that we are not ruin the, the logistics for for those shippers so really trying to to work on those more specific solutions on exceptions and, and that kind of activity so like we will never just automate everything. It's it's impossible. We need people to make good decisions, but we need to use their brains, not not their hands. 
Yeah, it also makes a sense. You know, you, you, there's certain things that uh, you want technology to do, good robot work, and then there's other things where you just say this is, takes a human touch, and you're not uh, you're not eliminating those jobs. So today's topic: Home Depot's Empty Mile Solution with my friend Eduardo Silva. I'm going to summarize this a little bit, then I want to get your final thoughts on this, and then I want before you go, I want to hear more about what's going on over at LoadSmart. So. We have this empty mile problem, and the empty mile problem is bad for sustainability. You know, it's not good for the environment. We all know that. It's also bad for the bottom line. It's bad for the shipper. It's bad for the carrier. It's bad for the driver. It's bad for the industry. And when you think about the capacity problem we have right now, and you go, yeah, 20% of the capacity is driving around empty, or in Home Depot's case, not even seen by the market just kind of offline. We have capacity that is not being fully utilized. At the same time, other people are like, I need capacity. I need capacity. So there's a real problem out there. And and it's even worse for the specialized markets. It's even worse for companies like who have a lot of flatbed shipments. It's really bad for it. anything. There's specialized equipment, fragmented space. And again, no, nobody could see this capacity. It was invisible to the market. It's out there, just invisible to the market. So you guys came in, you're working with Home Depot with this idea of taking those empty miles and making them full miles and better for their bottom line, better for the environment and and then frees up capacity for people who need it. Win, win, win. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. So, And you're doing that with technology platform that is using an algorithm, doing something in a way that, again, humans can do that. It's just we're not that good at it. It's just not what our brains are meant for. So your algorithm, your machine learning, that's what it is meant for. So final thoughts on this. Wrap this bad boy up for me, Eduardo. Yeah, so I would say that flatbed is harder, is more fragmented. Top 10 carriers has less than 5% of the capacity out there. So shippers need to build an immense network of different carriers. We have a bunch of small carriers that also had a lot of work trying to find shippers. In the end of the day, we, we, we say like 20% empty miles, but flatbed is, is higher than that for sure, because the fragmentation makes it harder for everyone to find the right shipment for the right truck, right? And this is what we are seeing across this, this market. For Home Depot and, and like the whole reason why we are uh, starting with them is that they have the scale for to to facilitate the process of getting that data together. Like for with a few hundred trucks, we can actually start delivering value to a bunch of, of different shippers out there, uh, saving money from them, getting you know giving some money back to to Home Depot, making sure the carriers are uh, using all the available drivers, hours of service, increasing their operating profit that we all know are, are very small, right? So there are many opportunities in in, in these, and again. Current market, I think carriers have uh, most of the, the leverage, but we have a bunch of dedicated and private fleets out there. We are seeing more and more uh, shippers uh, uh, making the decision of hiring their own their own trucks so they can have their products in the right places at, at the right time. And uh, whenever you make that kind of decision, you know that you spend, that you waste some money paying for empty miles. Oh, so yeah. We are trying, yeah, we are trying to optimize that. We are trying to... to you know, turn this uh, into into value for every one of, of these players. And again, this is not a, a Home Depot specific product. They have been a great partner, but we also help them to find capacity for the things that they can move on their private and, and de- dedicated fleets. 
So we are trying to onboard more of those private and dedicated fleets. We are trying to scale these uh, talking with, with other shippers. And then we are trying to make sure that we can offer better rates for, you know, shipper that needs capacity. And we are, we are trying to deliver value to all of those different players in, in our, mar- our market. And even like if, you know, a company out there doesn't care about greenhouse gas emission, I, I, I think they should. This is also a money problem. There are a lot of money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there. you don't have to care about the environment. You just got to care about your bottom line. That's why this is, that's why empty miles is like the win, win, win. If I'll tell you, if I, God forbid, if I had to, but because it's a tough business, but if I own trucks and somebody said, well, hey, this whole, this whole green thing is coming, sustainability is coming. Uh, you have to do something. I would be a little worried about going and buying all new trucks. I would be, I might look at some other options to reduce my own greenhouse gases, but I would focus on the easy thing, which is just get rid of empty miles. Yeah. And customers are, are more and more picky about that. They, they, they want to see brands, large brands and, you know, Walmart and, and Home Depots and, but that, that's getting everywhere. So I think everyone needs to to have a pretty good plan of how they are saving that. And I think, you know, the, the production area is is not where the, the main emissions are. So you really need to look at your supply chain or how, how you can you can save some of those of those emissions. Right. So before you go, uh, tell us what's what's new over at LoadSmart. I take it this is a, a solution that you can do for other enterprise shippers. This is not just for Home Depot. It seems like a huge opportunity to get kind of invisible capacity into the market and also save a lot of money and do the a good turn for the environment. Yeah, absolutely. We are we are scaling uh, Flatbed Messenger as, as a product for multiple shippers. So we are trying to onboard more private and, and dedicated fleets. We are onboarding more and more uh, shippers working with, with Flatbed and, and making sure that they have access to those below market rates for, you know, when when, when you can move shipments uh, with, with private and dedicated fleets that otherwise would run empty. So this is one of the, the things that we are working on. In general, we are trying to, to increase the, the value that we are delivering to the industry, especially like enterprise shippers, small businesses as well. And then we are trying to, how we can integrate those, those shippers with carriers, with warehouses and, uh, with other brokers and, and different players in the market. So, right. So you're not, you're, you're a little different than other, say, tech, tech centric uh, freight brokers in that you guys will actually integrate with somebody's transportation management system. Yeah, absolutely. We are trying to to really. We are not trying to be the the the, the middle next TMS. Person, yeah, we are trying to be the platform of you know different people using the technology that we create to make sure that we move more with less, which is load smart mission. Yep. So we are not trying to just become a broker between the the shipper and and the carrier, trying to you know get some money out of that. And you know, carriers don't don't like brokers because they feel that we are taking a cut out of their job. Because the, at the end of the day, they are right. uh, the ones moving and, and delivering the, the shipments. So we are trying th- to help them, you know, to become more profitable, to become better at, at their business, and then making sure that the shippers can also take advantage of that. So Flatbed Messenger is one of the initiatives, but uh, we are looking a lot at how we can connect the truck with the right shipment and not the other way around. <laughs> Wait, why is that important? I think historically we have seen a, a low to truck process in the market. So the shipper, the shipper, your shipper calls you and says, "Hey, I'd like to move something." And what you're saying is, rather than let that be the starting point, say, "I'm talking to a guy who owns trucks, who owns carriers, or has a 
dedicated fleet surveying their space and saying, this is where the capacity is and being a service to them by finding shippers. Yeah, and if I go to that carrier and I know that they will, they will have a delivery, let's say in Houston tomorrow at 3 p.m., I can look at all the available shipments that I may have access to and making sure that I, I pick the right shipment with maybe a pickup in the same facility if we can or, you know, facility on the other side of, of the road. So that that driver, like we are fully optimizing his his hours of, of service. And, and we know that if we can do that, we are, in the end of the day, we are really impacting the bottom line for, for those cares. And again, if I can make a, a truck go to a, a, another facility, which is closer to the last delivery to, to pick up a shipment, that shipper will not need to pay for those empty miles because we know right. that they are not paying for that. You know, They are definitely including that on, on their final price for shippers. I love what you're doing. I think this is such an important space, uh, such an important problem. And, you know, we've come a long way, it sounds like. You know, I don't know that we had a lot of good statistics back in the day, but it seems as if 20 years ago we had 30% empty miles. Now we're down to 18 to 20% miles with companies like yours out there. And I think more awareness. Well, first off, having the technology is is critical because again, this isn't a thing humans can easily solve. We need the technology. If I don't have all those fancy tools, the AI and the ML from companies like GloadSmart, it's not going to happen. And again, I think we also have awareness that this is bad for business. We always knew that, but now there's bad for the environment. It's just one more reason to go after it. So this is excellent. What I'll do, put a link to your LinkedIn profile so people can reach out to you there. And I'll put a link to whatever other links you give me so so we can look at what's going on over at LoadSmart. And thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Joe. This is a great opportunity. Great to meet you again. And um, yeah. I hope we can have uh, other chances in the in the future. Yes, I would like that too. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.